we're going to go ahead and uh, uh, continue on in the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, we're going to be, I think we're finishing up chapter 3 today in our fifth part of this series. Um, and if you remember last week, we were talking about, Paul was dealing with uh, one Looking at the difference, once again, between uh, viewing the wisdom of God spiritually and viewing it naturally. Because right? if, we, if we try to look at, at God's word and the wisdom of God with our earthly eyes, then it just doesn't make any sense. It just seems crazy. But if we, if we try to look at salvation, all those things with earthly eyes, then it's completely unaligned with the word of God. And it doesn't make sense to God. When we try to do things our way. So there is a difference between understanding the word of God, the promises of God naturally and spiritually. And without revelation from the spirit, it's going to seem crazy. The cross kind of seems crazy. It doesn't make any sense that somebody else would die for everybody and that God would be that kind of God to, to send a son. I mean, we think that might be cruel. But the truth is, is when you look at it through, through spiritual eyes and you see the wisdom in what it is. You know, everything, if you think about it, has, has anybody ever told you that it doesn't seem fair, it doesn't seem right, that we would be responsible for Adam's sin? Why should his sin affect me? Has anybody ever heard anything like that? It doesn't, you never heard that? I've heard people say that. Why, why should I be uh, responsible for what Adam did? You know, why can't I be responsible just for what I did? Because they completely forget if that was the case, they've already failed multiple times over. And from an earthly perspective, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, that doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. But if you look at it with spiritual eyes, from a a godly perspective, that kind of stuff does make sense because if by one person we were made broken, if we were made uh, uh, the sinners, then that means that by one person, Jesus Christ, we could all be made righteous. Because it was up to one person for us to fall, it was up to one person to bring us back. But if it was always up to our own means, we'd have all failed multiple times over. But that's the difference between looking at it from an earthly perspective where it doesn't make sense or a godly perspective where you're like, and the funny thing is, is we look at it now, all of us that are saved are like, yeah, that makes sense, I get it. But there was a time before you were saved when you didn't, if you think back. Because without it being revealed to you by God, that's just the way it is. It doesn't make sense. And then he began to talk about growing spiritually. And we talked about the idea with kids. You know, you, ex- you expect some things with kids. Like, you expect if you were to have some, some toddlers, some youngins in the church service, right? They would, be, they would be fussing around. They'd be laughing at inappropriate times. They'd be doing those kind of things. But after a while, we expect them to, to grow up and not laugh at inappropriate <laughs> times. Because we expect them to grow, right? <laughs> I got a red. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, but we expect kids to grow up, right? We don't expect, if, you're, if your toddler comes up to you and they're like, up, up, or, or I want milk, milk, and they're crying, like that makes sense. But if your 17-year-old does it, we got a problem. Get your butt off the couch and get your own milk, right? They need to grow up. And the same is true for us spiritually as well. We need to grow up in the Lord. It makes sense when we're younger that we struggle, might struggle with our faith and we might have questions. But as we mature and grow, we should be coming in a line with thinking and, and living and, and walking like Jesus Christ. Amen? We don't want to be spe- drinking spiritual milk for the rest of our lives. Amen? 
And then today we're going to be looking at the work that Paul was, was doing, and really it's the work that all of us should be doing, and that's to build on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. That's to build the church, that's to build the people of his church, their character, that's to to build with a, with a, a solid and, and lasting building materials like the Word of God. And that's what we're going to look at today because the truth is one day our work will be tested. And the scripture says is we're going to see that it's tested by fire. And if it's pure, if it's, if it's good, if it's solid, it's going to withstand the fire. But if, it's, if it was built out of hay, wood, or straw, you know, weak materials, then it's going to be burned up. And we will have to give an account for what we're doing. And then finally, once again, Paul begins to uh, contrast the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man. And I'm beginning to think that's an important thing because we're seeing it quite a bit. Amen? So let's go ahead and get started this morning. In 1 Corinthians 3.10, it says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. So you'll recall, at the end of last uh, week, we were finishing up and it was talking about that, that one person plants and one person waters and one person harvests and every person has their own part to play in the ministry of, of building Christ's church. Amen? And, but the end result was is that even though all these things happen, it was God that gives the, ro- the growth. We are just working as a tool in God's field. We're not the one causing anything. We're, not the, we're just being obedient and doing what God asks us to do. And he causes the growth. But Paul's beginning to look at that, that maybe not every minister labored to the same effect, plays the same part. And we see that Paul actually laid the foundation And the Corinthian church with the message of the cross. Paul says that according to the grace given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation in Corinth. And Paul had been called to be an apostle to take the the, the gospel message to the Gentiles. And we read that in Acts chapter 9, 15. It says, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. This was spoken about Paul. He was, called, he was a chosen instrument of God to go out into the field and, and particularly to minister to the Gentiles and to begin building this foundation. And God gave him the grace for this message. And like an expert builder, he was doing exactly what God called him to do. Do you know that we're all called to do that? God has given us something to do and we're supposed to move forward in excellence and obedience and like skilled master builders build what God has called us to build as well. And he laid the foundation for the Corinthian church. And what that meant was is that he took the message of Christ to these people. And the foundation of the church of all believers is Jesus Christ. It wasn't something Paul did. He just spent the the last two chapters talking about, hey, it wasn't really me. It was God that was doing all this. And he just talked a little while ago. It was, it was, it was, I was the one who, who planted, but it was God who caused the growth. And the foundation is always Jesus Christ. If you have a church that's not built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, then it's not the church of, of Jesus Christ. And when I say the Church of Christ, I don't mean a denomination. I mean His church globally, the, the church that, that, that He will build up and nothing will tear down. And we see that Paul laid the foundation. He came and he ministered. He shared the gospel. And Apollos had also apparently beneficially labored in the church as well as Peter. If those two weren't used, uh, if, if Apollos and Peter weren't used for illustrative purposes... 
Because that's where we're, one of the things that many scholars questions in 1 Corinthians 4, 6, he says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. So the reality is, it's quite possible that Paul is using Apollos and Peter, and they, they weren't actually there. He's just using them as an example, so as not to, to come down too hard on it. I don't know. Maybe they really were there. I wasn't there, so I'm not sure. But the reality is, is that there was more than one person doing the work. Because he says that even after all that, he laid a foundation. Someone else is building upon it. Have you ever heard somebody say that when you share with somebody and maybe they don't, they don't receive, people will say, you're just planting a seed. And you're like, what are you talking about? This is what they're talking about. Because you're playing your part. You may plant a seed and somebody else may water it and somebody else may harvest, but we all play our part. And we all need to do it skillfully. But Paul wrote somebody else was ministering on top of the foundation that he laid. And Paul's words to him are actually a, a warning. And it's a warning to all of us as we are essentially building on the same foundation that the apostles built on 2,000 years ago. Or at least we should be. And it's a warning to us. We need to be careful of how we build. We have a responsibility to preach the gospel unadulterated, unaltered, to make it just like it was back. We have a responsibility to tell people about the love of Christ and to do things in such a way that it's not in contrast to what was written about in the, in the, in the scriptures. We have to be careful when we're building on this foundation because we're going to be held to an account particularly those who, who are, who are in, in, in areas of leadership that are teaching. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. While I'm up here teaching, I'm going to have to give an account for what I'm saying. One day when I stand before the Lord, was I leading people astray or was I, was I leading people true to the word that he has written down? That's why when you start hearing people preach crazy things that don't align up with the Word of God, you need to, to begin to not let that get in your head. And when people preach, you should always contrast it to the Word of God. And that's anybody, even me as your pastor. If I'm saying some crazy nonsense, you need to make sure that it's, it's in accordance with the Word of God. I'm going to be, have to give an account for what I teach, but you're still responsible for what you let in as well. Amen? But the reality is, is that all true believers have the gospel message as their foundation. And each one is building on that foundation. And we need to make sure that we're doing that in a right way. Amen? Amen. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The foundation of everything that we do in the Christian church is Jesus Christ. That's all there is to it. He's the end all, the be all. And if we try to build our church on anything else, we are failing. Matter of fact, Paul at one point, I forget which book it's in, but he says that if anybody comes to you preaching anything other than the Christ that I've been preaching, even if it's an angel, let them be accursed. The foundation is set. It is Jesus Christ. 
And if we begin to minister anything else other than that, we are failing those who we are ministering to. to. We're actually deceiving them. We're setting them up for failure. If we begin to tell you Jesus loves you, and as long as you come to church, read your Bible, and do this list of things, as long as you always do these things, you're going to be okay, we're actually deceiving them. Because we're teaching them that it's based on what they do and not by what Jesus has done. Now, don't get me wrong. You need to do all those things. That's part of being a disciple. That's a part of being obedient. But it's not your salvation that rests on that. We do that as a natural response because God has saved us. Why would we not want to spend time speaking with him, studying with him? Why would we not want to spend time with his people? The reality is is that Jesus plus anything equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing is everything. Amen? So what does this actually mean? That if Jesus has to be the foundation, that means that when we go out, as a, as a church particularly, that, that when, we str- when we structure our religion on programs and procedures, instead of on Jesus, we're, we're, we're missing the boat. We're missing the point even though they might be good things. Feeding the poor is a good thing. And if we do it with the intent of sharing the love of Jesus Christ and making a difference and telling them about his love, then we're doing it right. But we can do the very same thing, but if our intent is to make our church look good and to make a name in the community and so we can be all puffed up and tell people about all the great things that we've done, we've missed the point because Jesus is no longer the foundation. Even, you know, providing medical support to those in need. When, you're, when people are flying to, to Haiti and all those things to help, if it's a Christian organization and they're going over there to, to show the world how good they are or to make themselves feel better, to lift the, then that's the point. Are, you, are we trying to lift ourselves up or Jesus up? But when they go over there with the intent of providing support and as a result, they have an opportunity to share the love of Christ and they're doing it for the right reasons. And it's all providing counseling, providing financial support, even the stuff that we do locally as a church. You know, when we do our different outreaches, what is the, why are we doing these things? Even the style of music that we perform and sing. So you go to some churches and, and they think the devil's in us for the way we do music. Other, but the truth is it doesn't matter as long as you're doing it to glorify Jesus. I care less what kind of music you're doing it in. There's some, some Christian rap stuff that I don't really get along with, but there's actually Christian like screamer metal bands. And I can't get into that. I mean, I can't do it. But you know what? If they're worshiping God, that's good. But if they're doing it for any other reason, then they're missing the point. Our fall festival. The point was is to be able to share. Not as effectively as I'd like. We had too many people come through to be effective, I think. We might have to adjust later. But even then, it was to get the church's name out there, to invite people in so we can share the gospel with them. The Easter outreaches that we've done have always been about drawing people in so we could share the gospel with them. Even this upcoming outreach with Dean Braxton is not so we can say, ooh, ooh, we had somebody really good come through here. We must be a good church. It's so that we can have an opportunity to draw people in and share the gospel with them. Jesus Christ is the foundation of everything that we do. And if sharing and promoting Jesus is not the end goal, then we're missing the boat. Amen? The truth is, is just about every other religion is... It's not built, all other religions aren't built on the foundation of Jesus, but every other religion, many of them have endearing qualities. 
They have good things. Most other religions have something in them that are based on honor and respect and moral, uh, a moral compass. They value peace and honor and love and all those things. And those are all good things. But without the foundation of Jesus, they accomplish nothing. Faith in those things to save you is just a deception. Jesus said it like this, Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. When it's built on the foundation of Jesus, it'll withstand whatever comes against it. But when it's built on the foundation of anything else, it'll fall under the same storms, under the same wind, under the same beating and blowing, it'll fail when the foundation of Jesus will succeed. Jesus is the end-all, be-all, and without him, all is lost. And it's all pointless. Paul said, we're all to be pitied if it's not about him. Amen? 1 Corinthians 3, 1, 12 through 13. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Now, in the Christian world, it's actually possible to build with poor materials. It's actually to build a church based on a squirrely doctrine, that's not quite biblical. It's, 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 it's possible to build on a foundation of Jesus Christ, but twist things around enough that there's, that there's no strength in what's happening. There's no character in what's happening. And, and this building is, is referring to, to building the church and sound teaching and to building each individual's Christian character. That's what we're trying to build. And only the truth can build strong character in the believers and thus build a strong church. If we build our church based on anything else, then we're weakening, even if, if our foundation... See, other religions, their foundation is not even Jesus, but there's Christian religions who their foundation is Jesus, but they're, they're building junk on top of it. So they have Christians that are, that are, that are mealy-mouthed, they're wishy-washy, they're, they're not strong in their faith, they're just kind of doing their own thing because their foundation is right, but what's built on top of it is, is worthless. When they're taught to, to only come in church on Sunday and, and pray a couple times a week. You know, they, they, they may have enough faith to be saved, but they're, they're not strong. They're still, like he's talking about here, he's talking about uh, Christians that are still on the, the milk of the word instead of on the meat of the word. They haven't grown The foundation may be strong, but a a variety of materials may be chosen. And Christians build on on this with a variety of materials. And what he's talking about here most likely is choice of materials. If you look at them, there's 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 basically two categories. There's gold, silver, and precious stones, which are are pure, they're beautiful, they're solid, they stand the test of time. And then there's wood, hay, and straw, which are weak and crumbling, and they have no structure and they can be blown away. I mean, even the, the big bad wolf figured this out, right? <laughs> You can blow on a house of stick and straw and it'll blow down. But if it's made of something solid, 
And I think that this, this solid stuff is, is when we're talking about preaching the word of God, which leads to the saving of souls. People that are saved are permanent. They'll stand the test of time. They live forever. But if we're building our kingdom, our, our church on anything else, it's all going to pass away. No matter how nice of a building you have, no matter how many people show up, no matter how much money you have funneling through it, no matter how many t- much time you spend out feeding the poor and doing all those things, if that's what your church is, ba- that's all going to pass away. And when the fire is put to the work that you're doing, if nobody was saved, there'll be nothing left. But if people were touched, if people were saved, if they heard the love of Christ, if they received it, then no matter what comes, they'll still be there. And this time of testing that is coming, he says, for the day will disclose it. That's the the day of judgment. There is a time that Jesus is going to come back. This world is not going to keep going on forever. It has an end date. It has an expiration date. At some point, somebody's going to throw it out the fridge. It's no good no more. And at this time, believers are going to be separated from unbelievers, with believers receiving their promised reward in heaven, and unbelievers not. And their work will be evaluated. Matthew six nineteen through 20 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures... In heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. The only thing that we can take with us to heaven is other people. Nothing else is coming with us. Not our church. Not the books that we wrote. Not the, the, the plaques that we've earned. The awards we've received. None of that is coming with us. The only thing that will have any lasting value are those that we shared the gospel with. Whether you were the one that watered or planted or harvested, that's what's going to come with us. That's what has value. That's the treasure that we're storing for ourselves up in heaven. It's the only thing that can go with us. But worthless work is going to be burned up. All that stuff that we did in our own strength, all the stuff that was just programs for program's sake, That's one of the challenges as churches, especially as we grow, that we never fall into that trap where, oh, we're big now. We can do all kinds of cool stuff, but it's just to do cool stuff instead of of making Jesus the priority. Worthless stuff is like doctrines that promote self. You know, where everything's focused on us instead of about how can we serve God, it's how can God serve us. Or instead of it being about, what has God done for me? It's, what can I do for God? Amen. That's how legalism works. When we try to figure out what we can do for God. If we're trying to do it, we've already missed the boat. We can't do it. We can't make ourselves right with God. There's not enough good stuff that we can do. There's not enough Bibles that we can read. There's not enough church that we can attend. There's not enough little old ladies that we can help across the street that is going to make us right with God. And that's why he sent his son, to make us right with him. We must ensure that Jesus is our focus and our purpose. And souls are the only thing that we can take with us when we die. As a church, 
we've decided to be an outward-focused church. That's why we try to do what we can. Our, our, four, our four times a year is what we're, our goal is, is to have some sort of outreach in the community. And then individually, we should all be working on inviting people, getting them in, whatever we can do, that they can be exposed to the gospel, that they can have what they're missing. They may not even know that they're looking for it. Or maybe they do. But we want to make sure they don't find it in something else. Instead, finding it in, in the only thing that's lasting. In 1 Corinthians three fourteen through 15, it says, And if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You know, one day we're going to have to give an account. We're going to have to, and it's not going to be a, you said the wrong thing, you're going to lose your salvation, at least not your own. The sad thing, if you think about it, is though, is if you're, if you're ministering to someone incorrectly, you might have cost them theirs. And that's a heavy responsibility, to be honest. When you look out in the world and you see people, your heart should hurt for those who are walking lost. I mean, if you saw them how Jesus, if you saw them how God, we would have to hold you back from sharing the gospel. We'd have to, we'd have to, hold, we'd have to tie you down because the truth is, is that they're, they're lost and they're hurting. And if we don't, there are people that only we can reach. It's our responsibility to reach and we need to make sure that we're doing that. And it's not about, when he's talking about your reward or what your stuff, it's not about quantity. Some people are called to do different things. Some people are called to have ministries to millions. Some are called to have ministry to one. The idea is, is are you doing what you're called to do? Are you doing what you, you, God sent you to this earth to do? I think the parable of the talents really explains it well. In Matthew 25, 14 through 28, and we're going to read here for a bit. It says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away, and he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had received two talents made two talents more. But the, he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of the servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me to five talents, and here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter in the joy of your master. And also he who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. And here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well, how come you didn't make five like your buddy? That's not what it says. It says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And if we continued to read, we'd see the one that, that made the one, he brought back nothing. And the issue wasn't that it, if he would have just brought back one, he would have done just as well. as. It's not about quantity. It's about the quality of their work. They were faithful with what they were given. They didn't hold back. They didn't run away. And both of them, even though the one brought significantly more back than the other, he still said, well done, good and faithful. So enter into the joy of your... He did what he was called to do. He was given to him according to his ability. And then he said, enter the joy of your, of your master. You've done well with little more will be given to you. Matter of fact, if you want to do more, do with what you have. And as you prove yourself faithful, 
to the heavenly calling, God will continue to give you more and entrust you with more. It's also why in the church that, that the, in most churches, thank God not here, but in most churches, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And when you need to get something done, you don't go to the 80% who aren't doing anything. You go to the 20% that are so busy that they can't even see straight because at least then it'll get done. Because they were faithful in a little, and you know they'll be faithful with whatever you give to them. But the others, they can't even be faithful with, with showing up to church on time half the time or even coming every Sunday. And the other thing that I think is important when we look at, at the work that we've done is did we do it his way or did we do it our way? Did we do the work to bring glory to his name or did we do the work to bring glory to our own? Do we go out into the world and share so we can, you know, put a notch on our belt on how many people we've touched? Are we doing it to give him glory? And the reality is, is that, that when we stand before God, it's not in regards to salvation. Jesus has secured your salvation if you have received him as your Lord and Savior. That's, that's all there is to it. So if you confess with your mouth and you believe with your heart, then you will be saved. That's the requirements. But we will still give an account. And we'll be judged by what kind of work that we've done. In Romans 14, 12, it says, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And it's not about sin. It's not about salvation. That's been taken care of. But basically, it's what did you do with what, what I gave you? That's what God's going to be asking. And everybody's work will be put to the fire. Was it worthless or, or did it accomplish something for the kingdom of heaven? You see, fire is that picture of a, of a scorching test that reveals the value of what's underneath it. I just recently started working for a Sarco, um, which is a mining company uh, here in Arizona and in, in uh, uh, Texas. Yeah, Emerald's in Texas, right? Yeah. So, but in, uh, in Hayden, we have a smelter. And basically, one of the processes they use to purify copper is to run it through this smelter, and it heats it up, and, and when it melts down, the impurities are driven out of the main part of the copper. They're driven to the top, and they, they, they scrape them off. Or at least that's how they purify most metals. I'm not exactly sure if that's how they do copper, but it's the same idea. <laughs> But they, they, basically the fire draws the impurities out. And what's left is solid. It's pure. And that's what will happen here. The, the fire is going to drive away all the chaff and all the stuff that, that is worth nothing. And we'll see what remains. And all the stuff that we built together with the, the wood, the hay, and the straw, that's going to be burned up. But stuff that was built with the precious metal, silver and gold and precious metals, that's going to make a difference. And we're going to stand before Christ and each person's contribution is going to be evaluated. And like Pastor Leon always says, are you going to stand before God? Is he going to say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or is he going to go, well, done? God will determine if we've been faithful to what we've been called to do. And I, for one, never wanted said to me that somebody else had to do what God called me to do. And trust me, there's been plenty of times when it would be just easier to give up and walk away. And we've all had experiences like that. It would just be easier to give up and walk away. But I'm always reminded, one, I don't want anybody else doing what God's called me to do, but what kind of impact would that make? How many people is this church supposed to reach? Am I supposed to reach that if I just gave up? We're not talking like, 
they're going to live the rest of their life maybe in a worse off state than they were. This is an eternal thing that we're talking about. This isn't a game. This is real life, and it's eternal. And we have an impact to make. And even the impact that we make, even though when we stand before God and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, it's still to his glory and not our own. Revelations 4, 9 through 11 says, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him and is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created." We're going to stand before God and we're going to receive our reward, our crowns, and we're going to throw it at his feet because it was all to glorify him anyway. Amen? 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now, I have to admit, I've always heard this verse used as an argument of, of why you should quit smoking. <laughs> I have. Why is smoking a sin? Oh, because your body is God's temple and you're destroying it by smoking. And while I agree it's good not to smoke, the issue is probably less to do with the smoking than it is to do with you're letting something else control your life. You're letting something else, in essence, have priority over God. When you can't set it down to focus on God, something else has priority in your life. But I've always, I've always heard this, this, this preached and ministered as having to do with us individually. But as I began to study, I found out that this word here, do you not know, is actually, and where he says here, and you are that temple, that's actually a plural word. It's a, it's a plural Greek word. He's referring to the most likely, according to, to many, many scholars, to the church. He's not saying you individually are a temple, although anybody who is saved does have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. They, they are the, the, the temple of God in, in that respect. But this verse in particular is referring to the church. Not you individually, but you all as the church are the temple of God. And what Paul is concerned about, and if you think about it, it makes sense in the context of this as well. Paul's been dealing with the church being weak. He's, de- he's dealing with, with people being weakened. And, and what he's worried about is that the local church might come to a point where its structure is so weak because what's being built on it is being built with wood and hay and straw instead of precious metals. But the structure would become so weak that it would collapse, that it would fall. It would collapse and be destroyed entirely or exist only in name. And unfortunately, I think we have all too much of that in the Christian world. And in Christians individually, they're a Christian in name culturally, but they're not a Christian in practice. Paul didn't want this to happen to Corinth. That's the whole purpose of this. Guys, quit being like, like children. Instead, be mature in the Lord. Grow and walk in Him. Build this church on, a, on, on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ with strong building materials, with solid doctrine, building up character, with Jesus Christ as your focus so that the church, that the temple of God, does not get destroyed. Because that's, that's a real danger when you start building on anything else. God said that 
Jesus would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail. But when you have a church that's not built on Jesus, you don't have that promise. You don't have that security. And it can and will be destroyed or be turned into something entirely different where immorality is, is no longer allowed. There's a church in Canada. I kid you not. It's a, she, one, she's a, 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 a woman a priest or pastor or whatever this church, whatever their, their title for it is. But she's an atheist. She, she's the pastor and she's an atheist. Now let that run through your head. How does that even work? And not only that, so at this point, it's, it's actually a very liberal uh, denomination. I forget which one it is, and it doesn't really matter. But they're okay with a lot of things, but they're okay with, with, with uh, uh, homosexuals being in ministry. They're okay with all kinds of sinful stuff going on in their church. But even they draw the line at this. If you don't believe in God, you can't be part of this church. That's building on something that's not a firm foundation. And that kind of stuff will, will cause a church to be torn apart. And unfortunately, we don't even realize it, but it actually casts a bad light. Because most people don't know the difference. And they think that that's the way all churches are. Corrupt and immoral and willing to do anything. When the truth is, is, is that we need to be built on the firm foundation of the word of God. To be built on the firm foundation of who Jesus Christ is. And the reality is, is that all are welcome in our churches. And it doesn't matter their background, their sin, their failing, or anything. God loves them all. But the foundation is to always point out Jesus. Because the reality is, is that he loves us so much to accept us how we are, exactly where we are. But he loves us too much to leave us where we are as well. We all came in broken and sinful and all kinds of crazy things. But because we got plugged into a church that had a firm foundation, we began to see things change. When Jesus was the focus, we began to see our own lives change. Not because we were following some crazy doctrine, checking off this list, you have to do all the right things, but because we had a relationship with him. He was the focus. His word was the focus. And I don't know about you guys, but for me personally, that's what changed in me. I focused on him and the rest of it came with it. I stopped trying to do the right things. Instead, I focused on him and his word, and all of a sudden, I started doing them because I was being changed into what he called me to be because he was the foundation. But Paul didn't want this, this weak church in, the, in Corinth. He didn't want it to fail. And he said, if anyone does destroy it, those people that are in there preaching these crazy doctrines, putting the focus on men instead of on Jesus... And God will destroy them. You're going to deal with some, some stuff if you're doing the wrong thing. Particularly when it's causing damage to the church of Christ. Because he says, for God's temple is holy and you, the church, are that temple and are holy. And something interesting to note here is this, do you not know, we're going to find is used ten times in the book of 1 Corinthians and it's in 3.16, it's in 5.6, it's in 6.2-3, it's in chapter 9, uh, so sorry, 6 verse 9, 6.15-16, 6, 6 verse 19, 9, chapter 9.13 and chapter 9.24. He's going to use the same wording here, do you not know? 
And basically what he's saying, this clause is saying, is that this is an indisputable, he's not asking, this is a rhetorical question, not do you not know. He's basically saying that, don't you guys get it? This is, this is, this is indisputable truth. The church is God's temple and we need to keep it whole. And we'll go ahead and end there for today. I had a little bit more, but I think this is a good stopping point. Otherwise, we'll be here for another half hour. Hallelujah. But the main point of what we talked about this morning is that Jesus is the foundation and he's the focus of everything that we do. And as a church and individually, we need to resolve to to have that as our focus, to make sure that he is the focus. So that that way that we have a, a firm foundation, a firm structure here that will have an impact in this community and can make a difference in people's lives. Not because of us, but because of him. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand our feet. Hallelujah.